Good morning, Lakeway. Me again. For those who didn't know, that's a, actually a quote from the great philosopher Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> so Mike has been sick this last week, uh, for those of you who don't know, and he really, really wanted to be here today. Uh, as early as Friday, he was still about 80% that he was going to be here, but uh, he just decided he wanted to play things safe, uh, not push himself too hard, so uh, he is staying home right now. I did talk to him before today's service, so anyone who's been wondering about how he's doing, he's doing okay now. Still a little tired, but otherwise, uh, he's, he's fine overall. He sends his love to all of you, and he really, really wishes uh, that he could be here. But uh, while he and I were talking, we were uh, kind of discussing notes on what I was going to be talking about versus the series he's been working on. Uh, who was here last week? Right. Yeah, you remember uh, his series, uh, we're doing this series called Life Hacks, and the sermon last week was about happiness, right, and giving happiness. Now, raise your hands again if you were here last week. Who remembers the challenge that he talked about last week? 100 people in 40 days. Now, we haven't started that yet. We were going to start that this week. Mike is going to start it next week, but that challenge to make 100 people happy in 40 days is coming up, and uh, the, the message I'm going to talk about today kind of, kind of intertwines with that. Um, there's, uh, it's an interesting thing, uh, writing a message like this. Uh, Mike had called me earlier in the week and said, I may need to step in. And I kind of had a, a little message put together that I thought I was going to do. And it was actually, ironically, Friday night, right after Mike had told me that he expected to be here, I suddenly got this, you know, you're going to be preaching on Sunday, Right. And by the way, you're not talking about that. You're talking about this. So uh, <clears throat> this is, I, I don't know who this sermon's for. I know it's for someone, and that's about it. Uh, and this is something that has been big on my heart. What I'm going to talk about today is how we engage with uh, non-believers. And I, I'm, this is not a sermon about how to witness or how to go out there and be the world's greatest evangelist, but this is how we engage with people who don't share our same beliefs. And this goes all the way in with this Life Hack series and everything that the church is going to be doing this year. I'm, I'm sure Hector's going to be talking, talking about our mission this year as we go forward. Uh, and just to, uh, to let you know, when I say non-believer, I'm not necessarily talking about someone who's just not a Christian, right? When I define a non-believer, I'm saying that this is an individual who doesn't have affiliation with, a, with organized religion in general. So that could be someone who's an atheist, uh, it could be someone who's agnostic, or they could simply say that they're not religious in general. Engaging with them is a little bit different than engaging with someone who maybe was a Christian at some point and walked away and we're trying to reclaim them, uh, or someone from another belief system altogether. Uh, These are people who who don't really have a concept uh, like we do of religion. And uh, it's, this is one of the gro- biggest growing blocks in the United States right now when it comes to religion. Um, a few things to know is right now about 4% of people in the United States would describe themselves as an atheist. So this is going to be someone who doesn't have any spirituality at all. This is it. You go around the track once, you're gone. Pretty much what you see is what you get right now. And sometimes people get surprised when they see this number and they say, well, that seems low. I thought there was a lot more atheists than that. Uh, It's because we tend to group them in with some of these others. Uh, We have the the slides? 
keep it going. What is, what is going on with those? Okay, so we're going to be doing this with limited time. You know, I'm going to just, just talk real quick. This morning's been an interesting morning for us. Uh, so Randy lost his voice. You know, Mike is, is out sick right now. I was praying for John during most of worship because you may have noticed our projector is looking a little wonky right now. Uh, it's about an inch away from actually falling off that rack at the moment. Uh, and uh, the internet went out during worship. So those of you on the stream, sorry that you missed a few minutes there. We will have a recording up for you a little later on. You know what that tells me? S- someone really needs to hear this message. This is a, an important message, right? Um, let me just pray for us again real quick, right? Father God, I want to thank you for this place that you've given us. And uh, stick with me and help me deliver this message, regardless of what goes on uh, technology-wise, uh, anything that's happening. Uh, just, just make sure that you get this message out to the people who need to hear it, soften their hearts, and, and let it get through to them. In Jesus' name, amen. It's nice and short, but something important. So what you would be seeing up before this, uh, 5% of people would uh, describe themselves as agnostic. So I don't know if there's a God or not, uh, and I'm not really going to think about it so much. Uh, Otherwise, it's still pretty much the same. What you see is what you get. Um, They're just more willing to say there may be a God, but that doesn't mean that they're any more religious. And then finally, a whopping 26% uh, in the U.S. say they have no religion in particular. So these are the people who might tell you that they're not exactly closed off to the idea that there's a God. And you might have heard someone say a phrase like this, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, right? You might have heard something like that before. But essentially, they don't really have that same concept of a higher power. Certainly, they're not uh, following in, in Jesus Christ's name. They haven't accepted Jesus into their heart. Altogether, if you look at those different groups, that's about a third of the United States. So just just think about that. So one in three people, if you were to go out there and say it was perfect demographics outside, one in three people wouldn't really have any kind of religious beliefs. And this is a huge change from previous decades. So there's an image I think we do have up. Yep, that's right there. This is a chart. This is from the Pew Research Center. It's a little hard to see on the screen right now. Uh, but if you go back and check our recording later, Kevin will probably have this up. But if we go all the way back to the silent generation, these are the people uh, who were born from the late 20s to mid-40s. They fought Korea, etc. Majority of them would identify as Christian, whether Protestant or Catholic. Uh, about another 4% had some other kind of faith, and then 10% were what we would call unaffiliated, so those other three groups I was talking about. And then just kind of, if you look at the chart back there, you can kind of see that the red bar represents who identifies as Christian. Notice that bar is kind of shrinking as we go down. And that gray bar for unaffiliated is expanding out until we get down to millennials. These are people my age. So born between 1981 and 96. So the the youngest millennials at this point are in their mid-20s. The oldest are in their 40s. And my gosh, millennials are in their 40s now. You look at this, 40% are unaffiliated with any religion whatsoever. Um, 9% being other faiths. That's way up from before. And then only 49%, less than half, would identify as Christian. And of those, the the lower graph tells us how often they actually attend a religious service or or go to church, right? Um, For the millennial demographic, 35% will go to church once a month or more. Otherwise, maybe once or twice a year 
or not at all. So the, the point I'm making with all this isn't to be like doom and gloom and uh, everything's lost, um, but there's some kind of disconnect, especially with younger people right now and the church. There's something going on where we're not connecting with them for whatever reason. And I don't have data for Generation Z yet, but I imagine when that information's available, I would not be surprised. In fact, I would be shocked if unaffiliated wasn't the majority at that point or even further. But here's the thing. It's not necessarily that people are searching less. So we, we sometimes have this idea that it's, oh, it's because they're being taught all of this stuff in school and it's teaching them, you know, not to believe religion or whatever. Yeah, this all evolution and everything else is, is ruining them. They're actually still seeking a lot for the most part. Uh, and that does play a factor. And I, I could get into all the reasons why younger people have a, a worse view of the church than older generations did, but we'd be here till like next Tuesday talking about that, and some of you'd be really grumpy with what I had to say. So we're just going to go ahead and accept the fact that this is where we're at right now. Now, I said that they're still seeking, and I can tell you that because right now, industries like uh, psychic readings are doing really well. Uh, tarot readings are doing really well. TikTok has this thing called Tarot Talk now. You can get your tarot done on TikTok, which I'll admit I'm old enough. I don't get TikTok, so however that works, I'm not sure how it would for a tarot reading, but there you go. Uh, you can do it. I, I'll show you this. There's a, the next image that I have on my deck. Oh, there it is. It came up. I went to Barnes & Noble last night. I was picking something up uh, unrelated to this. This bookshelf is in the front entry area. Uh, you may not be able to read it on the screen right now, but just uh, going across palmistry, meditation, crystals, tarot, auras, astrology, chakras. These are all spirituality kind of things. And uh, when, when Barnes & Noble, a company like that, moves something like this to the front, they move it to sell because they think if it's front and center, people are going to go for it. And you can actually see some stuff's moving off the shelves there. Um, so we know that younger people are still looking for something. They, they are looking for something beyond what they have here. So don't make that mistake. Don't think that they've just written off um, that there may be something more, but they're not finding that here. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what, are we do, what can we do to engage with them and let them know that, yeah, there are answers here for us? So... Uh, part of the problem that we have that we run into is that we kind of work on different wavelengths, right? So when you, when you are, are like us, when you have the Holy Spirit, when you've invited Jesus into your life, you get an extra understanding of how the world works. You have, uh, you have God at your back here. When you don't have that, what you have is what you see in front of you, right? This is why we talk about things like the scientific method being based on observation. Uh, it's going to be can I see this? And maybe I'll come up with a hypothesis about how this works, and then I'm going to test that. And if I can test it in controlled circumstances, and that test is repeatable, then that's something that's really worth believing. We have been given knowledge. We don't have to go through the test. We've been told, hey, this is the answer. And it's easy for us to apply that. So in a way, the, the trouble when we try to engage with, with younger people, and when we try to engage with non-religious people specifically is that we don't really understand the nature of the universe the same way they do. And non-believers cannot understand the word of God as we do. I say cannot. I'm going to prove that to you. This is in the Bible. This is 1 Corinthians 18 to 23. 
see if it'll come up on the screen. It will not. Okay, so if you have your Bibles with you, this is 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 23. I'll be reading from New Living Translation. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed to destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. And that's really the group that I'm talking about today, is that group that says, no, this is just nothing but nonsense here. And sometimes we get this idea, I've heard this from, from many people before when I've discussed this, and I'll hear like, well, the Bible says that nature reveals God. You know, there, in Romans it says that um, all of nature points to God. How could people not be able to see that? If you really are studying the nature of the universe, you should come to that conclusion. Well, it's right here in the verse. Uh, God made it so that the world would never know him through human wisdom. It's right there. And that's really what people are working through right now is human wisdom. So to them, what we're talking about makes no sense. And to us, we look at them and say, how does this not make sense to you? It's so simple, right? And I'm going to give us actually a a quick example here. Some of you have probably been staring at the squares. Um, I need someone to give me an answer real quick. Wow, these stairs are really far away compared to where they used to be. Hey, Benny, can you help me out? Yeah, exactly. Just right there, would you write the answer down for me? Just don't show anyone else. Just any, any, anyone that you pick. Okay, that'll work. Thank you. So, oh, you can hear the wind while I walk. That's nice. Let me just move over the world's greatest easel real fast here. I will fight with this for a few seconds. I'm going to try to keep this where everyone can see it. Come on. Behave. There we go. And I'll move this around some after I uh, write these numbers down. So I've just written out a bunch of numbers on this grid right here. I'll I'll move this up front. 
so everyone can see. So let's say that these numbers are everything that you can observe, okay, everything that you can see. And we know that there's a number on this board that is the answer, okay? You can work with what you see here. Just real quick, uh, who, wa- who wants to take a guess? What's the answer? 12. 12. It could be 12, but it's not. Someone else? Six, six. I heard six over here. Good guess, it's not. Three? No. 57? No. And I'm going to tell you, we could go through every single number on this square, and I would tell you that no, that's not the answer. But the answer is up here. I, I can tell you for sure. The answer is 77. And you're going to look at that and say, what? 77 is not in this grid. This answer makes absolutely no sense to me. And Randy's kind of starting to get the idea here. Benny here gave me the answer. So let's say this is like God who's given us the answer, right? Congratulations, Benny, you got a promotion. I know the answer, and I can just look at this, and the answer is super, super obvious to me. But if you looked at this, you don't know the answer. Even if I tell it to you, you don't know why this is the answer. It doesn't make sense. But if you look at it from the way that I've been taught to look at it, it starts to make sense because I know that 8 and 11, well, that's 19, plus 1 is 20, plus 57, well, that's 77. Or I could look at it as uh, 56 and 2, that's 58. Let's see, we get that, that is 65, 12, that makes 77. 3 and 59, plus 9, plus 6. You guys are getting the idea here, right? Each of the rows, as I go through here, 10 and 5, it's uh, 15, 19 plus 58, is 77. And this is like me trying to tell you, hey, this is my life experience. My life experience has shown me that the answer is 77. I've learned how to look at it that way. But you could say, hey, that's, that's not enough. There's other ways of looking at this. Okay, well, 58 and 6, that's 64 plus 12. That makes 76 plus 1 is 77. 4, 9, 7, and 57 also makes 77. 5, 59, 2, and 11. Guess what that is? 77, 10, 3, 56, and 8. So I can look at it that way, and I can see the answer is 77, because I also know I can look at it that way. But if you're not impressed yet, 8, 2, 9, and 58. If I go diagonally, that's 77. 10, 59, 7, and 1 is all 77. But someone could say, yeah, that's just if you look at things straight on, right? No, because 1, 8, 10, and 58 are 77. In fact, if I really want to show off, The four in the top left, the four in the top right, the four in the bottom left, the four in the bottom right, the four in the middle, those are all 77. In fact, if I do this one, this one, this one, and this one, it's 77. This one, this one, this one, and this one, it's 77. This one, this one, this one, this one, 77. This one, this one, this one, and this one are 77. And you know what? If I add the two on the top to the two on the bottom, it's 77. And the two on the left, the two on the right, it doesn't matter how I look at it, it will always equal 77. So, best easel ever.
So here's the thing. I know the answer, and I know how to find the answer. It's been given to me, so to me, it's obvious. But until I pointed that out to you, until I started adding them together, there was no way you were going to come to this answer on your own. And if you approach someone talking to them as if this should be obvious, that's when you're going to start getting people to shut down. They don't see what you see. So that's the biggest thing I want you to keep in mind as you go through this. Now, um, as we engage with non-believers, there are a few areas that we tend to run into trouble. And it's almost always because we're not considering their point of view. And we assume that we can get them to understand our point of view just through simple and, and logical explanations, right? So the first area we run into trouble is that we try to debate people, right? Um, on its own, you know, just kind of for fun, if I'm chatting with a friend of mine and maybe the topic of religion and belief comes up, yeah, sure, we can have a conversation about it. You know, maybe they talk about some of the things they believe, some of the things I believe. That's all fine. The, the trouble with a debate is it's really not super productive, because it's very rare that you're going to convince someone else of something, and it's pretty rare they're going to convince you of something. Usually you're just going to be comparing notes, and at worst, it's going to devolve into a fight, right? People are going to start butting heads, start getting offended. And I want to give uh, actually a pretty prominent example. Uh, There was a debate in 2014 at the Creation Museum. Uh, This was done between Bill Nye. Some of you may know him better as Bill Nye the Science Guy. Right, and the, uh, anyone know who the other guy is? It's Ken Ham is his name. And uh, so he is one of the leading proponents of trying to scientifically explain what is called the young earth theory. So that's the idea that the earth is 5,000 years old, roughly approximately based on a biblical timeline. And the two of them came together, and it was a really long debate about an hour and 50-ish minutes long, or sorry, 150 minutes, close to three hours long. And I can really summarize a lot of it for you, where Bill and I would make a point, and he would say, here, based on science, this is what we know. And then Ken would say, yeah, but you're looking at it from the wrong way, and if you look at it this way, this is what it is. And then Bill would say, but you can't look at it that way because of this. And then Ken would say, yeah, but you're refusing to consider this. And they just kind of ping-ponged back and forth for almost three hours. What were the results? One, they weren't really scoring, so they weren't tracking a winner per se, but if you ask the audience, the people who already supported Bill and his side, guess how many of them switched sides? Yeah, nothing. The people who are on Ken's side, guess how many switched sides? Nothing. Okay, so this is, I, I would call it entertainment at best, right? So I'm not necessarily saying there was anything wrong with this kind of a debate, but this isn't going to be the kind of thing that's ever going to prove our point or win people over. I'm going to go back to our example. Bill and the people on his side, Ken was probably right to point out, hey, you're not seeing this from the right point of view, uh, if, you know, depending on what we're looking at. But of course they're not, because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have that guide for us. So what does the Bible say about getting into debates like this? Well, 1 Timothy uh, 2, 24 to 26, uh, again, if you have your Bibles. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. 
Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. And the key there, uh, I think, is verse 25, where our, it's, it's our mission, it's our goal to gently instruct them. So basically, hey, here's my story, here's what I know, here's the truth that I know. That's what we're supposed to give them. And then it says right here, perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. See, in a debate, the, one of the big problems is uh, that we want to win, right? We want to prove our point and we want them to accept our point. That's not what happens when we're witnessing with non-believers. In many cases, it's just going to be a, oh, okay, that's interesting, thanks. You know, whatever, maybe it's not the response we want. But it's our job to... Uh, to at least present it, God's job is to do everything else. Remember, the action here is God will change those people's hearts. You're not going to change their hearts. You're not going to prove your point. God will do that for you. Now, when you do engage people, uh, let's say you do kind of get in a a debate situation with someone, because some people just like to talk this stuff. Some people, this is interesting to them, and this can be an entry point for them to start thinking of things. Uh, In your talks, first off, find common ground with people. Find a spot that you can start on, that you can agree on, and get them in agreement with you. Uh, You know, maybe we can't agree that a higher power created the universe, but we can agree that the universe is vast and expansive, and we don't have answers to everything. And maybe there's something else we can explore here, right? That's a starting point. The other thing when speaking with people is know what you're talking about. So there is a general perception of the church right now as being anti-science, anti-education, and generally a little bit backward, right? Um, If you try to engage with someone on the science of things, and you try to say, well, you know, evolution doesn't make sense because we have these things that are missing over here, unless you really know that subject, and unless you... That, you know, have learned it within the last few years and not 20 years ago like me, they're going to know more than you. They're going to see flaws in your argument and they'll run circles around you. More importantly, if you don't know your faith, if you don't know the Bible, they'll catch you out on that too. Here's another really interesting thing I found when I was researching for this. Most non-religious people are more knowledgeable about religion than Christians. Think about it for a second. There was a survey that went out. Uh, I cannot remember who did the survey for the life of me now. I knew it last night. It'll come to me like at three o'clock today. Was it the Barna group? Might have been the Barna group. Um, But they found that non-religious people scored better than most people about religion in general, so world religions. When it came to Christianity specifically, compared to the Christian test group, they scored at least the same or better on knowledge about Christianity and Christian beliefs and what's in the Bible. So if you get into a debate with someone who doesn't believe and they know the Bible better than you do, do you think you're going to come out of that pretty well? No, probably not. Now, my advice is don't try to get in the debate in the first place and just talk about your experiences, but we'll get to that. Finally, the last point is don't try to win if you get into one of these debates. There is no winning. Uh, You're just going to Make yourself look and feel bad after a while. Uh, And it's not about you winning. This is about God planting a seed. Um, I could talk about that as its own uh, sermon topic, so I I will bless you all and leave it there. But I do want to give you a good example of 
someone in the Bible who engaged with people trying to debate him, people who are non-believers. This is in the book of Acts, Acts 17. This is verses 16 through 34. Uh, I said 16, 18 through 34. So Paul is in Athens right now. His, his ministry has been sending him all over the place to all of these different churches. And he is now currently in Athens. And this is one of the first times he's really engaging with a lot of Gentiles, more so uh, than some of the other places going, people who are wanting to have discussions with him. They're, the city, as the Bible likes to say, uh, really loves debating stuff. And we'll, we'll see here, in starting in verse 18. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas that he's picked up? Others said, oh, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. They took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about these new teachings, they said. You are saying some really strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all of the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious in every way. For I was walking along, and I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, To an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He's the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and humans can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. He satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their, uh, feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about thing, these things in earlier time, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved every, to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined and became believers. Now, I'd, I'd be going back and pointing out stuff in the slides here, so just try to stay with me on this for the most part. But Paul's doing everything here we were just talking about. He starts out by finding common ground with them, right? He says, hey, you guys are really religious. You, you like to think about these things. You like to... Uh, worship the gods that are around you. Can we talk about that for a little bit? So he's starting from somewhere that they can understand and they can relate to. And as he continues through here, the things he talks about, you notice that he doesn't get into any like weeds while he's talking. That message that I just gave you is a very simple kind of witness, right? Just, hey, this is the truth. This is what I understand. This is the answer that I know. And he presented what he had where he could. And he didn't get into any fights with them. So people laughed at him afterwards. And they said, okay, this is just nonsense. What did he do? He let it go. He said that was the end of it. He was just like, okay, that's fine. And you know what happened? The people who weren't ready to believe didn't believe. 
the people who were ready to believe and ready to hear did hear, and they believed. So Paul is giving us a great example of how you can witness to people who are non-believers. Again, in these case, these people, they, they know nothing about our God or Jesus or how anything, these things work, and he approaches it in a, res- in a respectful manner like that. Uh, so again, I would, I would really recommend if you go back, since we couldn't see it on here, read that verse whenever you have a chance. I think it's an excellent guide for engaging with non-believers. Now the second area that will normally run into trouble is that we try to force the conversation. You know, we, we want people to be ready to hear our message right now. And we want to have that talk with everyone right now. And not everyone is ready to have that talk right now. I, I knew a guy who used to brag about the number of times uh, HR had been called on him because he wouldn't stop trying to witness to people. And I'm, I'm not discouraging anyone from witnessing, right? If you're getting to the point that people are calling HR, you might be getting a little bit too pushy, okay? You may want to step back and, and ask yourself, what are my motivations? And more importantly, how am I approaching this? Because if you're really witnessing in the right way, you're not doing it in a way that is pushing people back or making them defensive, right? If someone's running to HR, it's because you've put them in a position that they feel you've got them cornered and they don't have anywhere else to go. And I'm going to go back to a verse that we love to talk about here. Uh, you've heard it from me and from Mike several times. First uh, Peter three fifteen through 16. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. And there's two parts to that. Number one, if someone asks about your hope, right, we are letting them come to us. Now, how do you do that? Well, you have a few ways. And we'll talk about that in a minute with one of them. But mainly, it's living your life as you should. You're living in Christ, and people will see that, and they'll wonder about that. Now, it could be maybe you are doing some kind of outreach, like you're going out to the park, and you're feeding homeless people, and people want to come up to you and ask you about what you're doing. Great. Good opportunity. Uh, maybe uh, we're doing something else, like the, the thanks giveaway that we do every year or the co-drive. There's a reason we do these things. It's because it brings the people to us. And when, and when they're engaging with us on that level, they're ready to have that conversation. The second part is to do this in a gentle and respectful way. I have seen a lot of people, a lot of um, groups before, where their manner of, re- of reaching out to people is to say, hey, what do you believe? And then try to list every reason what they believe is wrong, right? If you do it that way, you're going to get back in that position of getting people extremely defensive uh, because essentially you're attacking their core beliefs. Imagine if someone walked up to you right now and just told you, nope, 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 no God, you're an idiot. Okay, you probably wouldn't like that person very much, would you? Uh, you need to approach that in a little bit of a different manner. Now, again, I wanted to pull a really good example of this, of witnessing, and I actually had too many examples uh, as I was going through. Where in the book of Acts in general, I've read, I read through, again, this, the last couple of days, several encounters, and there's a pattern. Number one, God sends the witness to do their mission. So they're going out to do whatever it is that God has instructed them to. Uh, Number two, the witness obeys, and the witness follows God's instructions. And then number three, someone approaches that witness, right? Uh, There's a great example in chapter five, maybe three. Oh, geez. I should have written this down. Uh, 
We'll get back to that later. Uh, but there's a lot of really good examples inside of Acts. Even the, I'll just slip back to an easier one, even uh, Pentecost itself, right? Um, this is where the Holy Spirit is finally given to the church for the first time, okay? Um, and a lot of people became believers that day. The church grew exponentially. And here's the funny part is, they didn't exactly go out in the street to find people and preach to. The Holy Spirit came down and the church, the, the apostles were praising the Holy Spirit so much that people came to them and said, what's going on? Are they drunk? What's happening? And then they had their opportunity to explain the word to everyone, explain why they were so joyful. And that is the start of the church. The very first act of witnessing, I would say, at uh, a large scale, and it's done in that pattern. So there's, there's some, some food for thought for you. Now, the third area where we run into trouble is probably the hardest. It is for me, and that is that we don't walk our talk. So we go forward, and we preach about a lot of stuff, and we say a lot of stuff, but our lives don't reflect that. And people can see that. People can see if you're living the way that you're telling them they should be living. Um, the, The Bible has some pretty heavy rebukes for that. Romans 2, 19 through 24. You are convinced that you're a guide for the blind and a light for the people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach the children the way of God. For you are certain that God's laws give you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from the pagan temple? You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. And this is the key verse here, 24. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Ooh, that hurts, right? Um, This is a very clear reminder that if we are not actually living in Christ, if we're not, if we have these areas of our life that we're just letting go to darkness, that is absolutely going to affect our ability to interact with non-believers. And what's the biggest mission of the church? is spreading the good news, right? So I talked about denial a couple weeks ago for anyone who is here. Let me just call back to that and say, you should really examine your life and try to find where are the areas that you're falling short. Because remember in Galatians 5, to 23, what people should see from us are the fruit of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'm going to point out, and I've done this before, notice that it is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. It is one object. So look at your life. If someone were to look at your life, if you were to approach someone today and be working with them, would they see all of those items in your life? A few of them are not the fruit of the Spirit. All of them together are the fruit of the Spirit. That is what makes what you have appealing. And that's what makes other people say, I want that. So what do we do? Well, first off, focus on your own walk. Are you in the word? Do you have quiet time with God? Have you actually reserved some time to get to know the person who's actually doing the heavy lifting for us? If not, can you at least find 15 minutes a day to to just try to pray, try to read your Bible? And are you following Christ's example? And how do you know what Christ's example is? You, You know it by reading what Christ's example is. Do you know the word? Once you know that your walk is where it needs to be, the next thing you need to do is pray for the opportunity. 
Who in your life is someone that you would love to share the gospel with? Mike used to, had a, had a big thing last year where he was saying, figure out who, who's your one. Who's the one in your life that you're going to be trying to reach out to and get to? When you know who those people are, pray for them and pray for the opportunity to come up. Don't force it. I guarantee you, God will bring the opportunity for you. I, I was talking to Mike about this three years ago, I think. And it was, it was kind of funny. I, I was, this was when this, this kind of stuff was first becoming really heavy on my heart because I knew a lot of non-believers from back when my walk was not the where it should have been. And I remember we went out for lunch and then he warned me, if you pray for the opportunity, the opportunity is going to come. And I say, that's all right. I'm ready for that. We prayed. And 10 minutes later, one of my friends called me and they were having all of these different things and they were questioning things like spirituality and they'd never thought of that before and they knew I was a believer and hey, can we have a talk? (laughs) Okay, that was when it convinced me at least, if you pray for that opportunity, the opportunity is gonna come. Uh, So take that as it is. Don't pray for it till you're ready. Um, And ask yourself, if someone did come up to you right now and told you they wanted to speak about Christ, would you be ready? Because five years ago, when I, I I guess six or seven years ago now, when my walk wasn't right, I did have someone come to me and want to talk to me, and they knew that I had, had a belief. They said, hey, I think I need to start reading the Bible. I just have this idea. Where should I start? And I went, uh, Google, where should I start reading the Bible? And to this day, I I keep that as a conviction to myself that I need to be ready all the time. Because if you're not ready when that opportunity comes by, for all you know, that could have been the last time that person was was reaching out. Um, I still want to follow up with that person if I can ever get in contact with them again. Uh, And then finally, on top of looking for that opportunity, being ready, be ready to have a conversation. So this is the opposite of debate. Don't argue with people. Don't fight with them. Don't focus on winning or being right. It's one of the hardest things to do, I think, is when someone says something to you that you you know is wrong or you know that you have the right answer for, um, and or not that you know that you don't have the right answer for, but you don't really have an answer for it, but you think you might be able to kind of make something up as you go. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's even more okay to say, yeah, I could see why you believe that. You know, you really want to disarm someone. You really want to surprise someone. Agree with them on something. Someone, I remember having a talk with someone recently where they were saying, you know, it just really doesn't make sense to me that all of mankind would be doomed because a couple of people ate a fruit. Yeah, I, I could see why you think that. Or, you know, the timeline in the Bible doesn't make sense to me. You know, if you look at the historical record versus what the Bible says, it's not lining up and it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't line up. I'm not fighting them. I don't need to fight them. Any of this other small stuff, anything beyond God's message, God can take care of with them later. Right now, I'm focusing on just getting them to know God. And the best thing you can do is listen to people. People want to be heard. People want to be acknowledged. You know, I, ironic, we're here and I'm preaching to you, but people don't like being preached to, right? They, they want someone who they know is there. And this leads me to my final point, and, and we'll wrap up here. The best way you can witness to someone who's a non-believer 
isn't really even have, just talking with them at length. It's building a relationship with them and showing them that you care about them as a person and showing that you have compassion for them and consideration for them. And I, I, there's kind of like, there are these two phrases that, that came to me a while ago. Let it go when it's not time. You know, if, if they're not ready yet, don't push the issue. Plant the seed, do what you can, and then be there when it is time. Because eventually, they're going to have a choice to make one way or another. And if you're the person who's been showing them that kindness and that compassion, you're the person they're going to be coming to when they're ready to finally make that decision. So be ready and be there for them when you can. So all of this, uh, the whole point of this message today, like I said, this is something I was not expecting to talk about this morning, and <laughs> there we are. I just knew that this was, was what I needed to talk about today. Um, remember, this is the mission. The mission is being out there in the world and being with people, and it's great to be here. And I lo- what I love about Lakeway is so many of our members are actually involved in our community and actually do things. The co-drive uh, is a huge thing that we do. John and Bridget over here really helped getting that going back with your shop back in the day. And it, think about how big that co-drive's coming. How many people this last uh, October? Yeah, October. Did that draw into the church? That's huge. Hungry Souls. Oh my gosh. The, the work that that group does, the outreach they do, that's our mission. And when, the, and when we have people coming to us, we need to be ready to engage them in the right way. So I hope all of you are, are in that spot where you need, know where you need to be. You're walking where you need to walk and you're ready to speak. And if not, it's okay because you can start now and you can start today. This year's theme for the church is reclamation, right? This is bringing things back that have been lost. And I think this is where one of the starting points is. So let me go ahead and, and, and pray us out here. Father God, I want to thank you so much for this church, for this community who's open to you and open to your mission. And I I pray that you be with each and every one of us and put it into our hearts to start this outreach and to continue this outreach and to do it with gentleness and respect and to engage people and show them your love, show them your light through us. When people look at us, let us all be like shining lights on a hill, Lord. And Father God, as we go into the world, I know it's, it, it's hard. You know, when we're here on a Sunday morning, it's easy to get fired up about this, and it's easy to get prepared, but then the world tries to beat us down. So as everyone in this room goes out into the world, remind us constantly that you're there with us, that you have our back. Continue to convict us in our own lives, and continue to support us when we need your love and assistance. And Lord, there may be people who are watching today who don't know you yet, and they haven't made that decision. And I pray for each of them, Lord, that you'd you'd soften their hearts and you'd open them up to your message, and that when the time and place is ready, you would bring them to us, and that you would give us the opportunities to help introduce them to your word. And if that is you today, I do want to give you an opportunity to make that choice today, and it's really easy. You can just repeat this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I have sinned, and I need to make changes in my life. I believe that you died on the cross for me and you paid for my sins. I want you to come into my life and rule in my heart with peace. In Jesus' name, amen. For everyone else, we got a few announcements here. 
the, ma- uh, the annual business meeting is going to be immediately after this service. Uh, the back of our bulletin says 1230. It'll probably be within like the next 15 minutes or so. Um, and then we'll get through it nice and fast, as quick as we can. Uh, you're, anyone is welcome to sit in on this, but members are the only people who are allowed to vote. So if you are a member of Lakeway, please come here and vote. This is for next year's budget. We need you to be here to vote for this. Um, Otherwise, uh, you can sit in, but you won't be able to vote. And we will be covering the budget and our trustee nominations. The men's retreat is locked in April 1st through 3rd. Lynn, was it your idea to make it April 1st? I'm terrified of this first night. Uh, As it says here, don't be a fool and miss it. I can tell you that the men's retreat is one of the turning points in my spiritual life. That is what got me on the right track. There's never been a retreat I've been to so far that I haven't come away with something of of great value. Even the ones that weren't as good were still huge for me. Uh, So everyone, if you've been to a men's retreat, come to this one. If you haven't been to a men's retreat, you really need to come to this one. So uh, you can speak to Hector for more information, and we'll be giving you uh, some more information as time comes on. And then finally, uh, benevolence. Uh, We do do work for our community. We do try to uh, provide uh, for people in need when we can. We have a couple of specific needs right now. Uh, Tuna. So canned tuna, uh, if you could bring that back to the church office. And then canned fruit is the other thing that we need. So help be a blessing in someone's life and uh, bring those needs. And that is all I have for you this week. We love you all and have a great week.